So now we're, uh, we're coming to the chapter in the Christ of the Prophets called The Call and Commission of God's Prophets. Um, this is O. Palmer Robertson again, the book that he has written. Um, and he is talking about how did these prophets come to be prophets? How did they get their call and commission from God? Was it something that they decided one morning that they wanted to do? Had they seen prophets before and been like, you know what, that looks like a great job, I want to do that. Uh, where can I go to school to be a prophet? How did this all come about? And so that's what uh, the Sunday School is looking at today in that chapter. So he focuses primarily in this chapter on looking at uh, four main prophets, the writing prophets. You see there in the introduction, Isaiah and Amos, Jeremiah and Ezekiel. He pulls a lot from, from their calling and commission. Uh, Isaiah and Amos were both 8th century prophets, uh, 8th century BC, and they were the very beginning of the writing prophets. Then you see that Jeremiah and Ezekiel were after that in the 7th and 6th century BC, towards the end of Old Covenant history, prophetic history. And so they will be used a lot uh, by Robertson to pull from as far as what it looks like to be commissioned into prophecy, into prophetic ministry. There are five key things that he points out, and those are going to be the headings for all of our, our Roman numerals here. Those five things you see in the introduction under B, uh, these are the circumstances of prophetic calling regularly contain five elements, and they are historical context, the vision of God, commission from the Almighty, the response of inadequacy, and the reaction of the people. So all five of those things are going to be our main points that he uses to talk about the call and commission of God's prophets. So those five things are generally uh, going to be important in some way, those five things. So the first one we look at is the historical context, the historical context. The call of the prophet is tied to God's eternal purpose. Turn with me to Jeremiah 1.5. Briefly, Jeremiah 1.5. And if somebody gets there, if you don't mind reading that for us, Jeremiah Thank you, thank you. So there we see in, in the call of Jeremiah this word from the Lord that he says, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. This is God's appointment, something ordained even before he was born, Jeremiah was born. Um, the call of the prophet is tied to God's eternal purpose, and we often see that. We see that with Jeremiah and his call. Um, he points out that there's no connection to the faith or personal gifts of the prophet. So there's no connection when a prophet is called usually to their specific giftedness. They weren't someone in Israel who everyone was like, yeah, that guy is really good at, at prophesying. He should be one. Uh, they weren't specifically gifted in any way. Um, they cannot have studied or aspired to this. There's no school for prophecy that you could go to and become a prophet. Uh, there wasn't a Hogwarts for prophets or anything of the sort. Um, it wasn't something you could aspire to. And there's very little information given to us about a prophet's life prior to his call. So usually these men just kind of pop up out of the, out of the you know, Bible and you're like, well, we don't know who that is. We're, what were they doing and who are they? 
and God just calls and commissions this man seemingly from nowhere with no really history to, to say who that man was. Um, very little information usually given about the prophet that is called. So next, he talks about the historical cir circumstances that usually surround a calling of a prophet. What was going on in the life and the history of that time when a prophet was called? Usually, it happened during a national crisis, that Israel was going through some issue, some big problem, national crisis, and God would call a prophet during that moment, historical moment. Um, usually, there's a national crisis in, uh, also coinciding with this prophet being in a life of mundane normalcy, that the prophet was going about his life doing nothing very big and mighty, and the nation was in a crisis. And so he gives some examples of this. Um, you see that Moses is an example. Remember Moses, when he was called, uh, he was shepherding. He was out, you know, shepherding, not around a lot of people. And Israel was enslaved at that moment. They were suffering under Egyptian slavery. And God calls Moses while he is shepherding sheep. And Israel is in that uh, time of, of difficulty. I remember Gideon, another example, that he was threshing wheat while Israel was under Midianite oppression. So he was just threshing wheat and God called him kind of from out of nowhere. Uh, Amos was a busy farmer. Uh, I think that he, had, he farmed sycamore trees, I believe, or something like that. Very interesting that he was a farmer while the northern kingdom had departed and gone into depraved worship. And God called him during that time while Israel was, was not being obedient in their worship. And so it's interesting to notice some of these examples that these men were called out of mundane activities of life, something like farming and shepherding, while Israel was in dire need of leadership and a call to repentance and back to the Lord um, in saving. He also points out that the call to prophetic office is only attested to by the prophet himself. So when, when, when they're called to prophetic office ministry for the Lord, no one came to them and said, you are going to be the prophet. But this was something communicated directly to the prophet himself. Um, the, the report is usually in the first person that, that Jeremiah or one of these prophets communicates the fact that I have been called by the Lord. And there's really no one else that can affirm that or deny that. It's completely on the Lord. No one can really confirm or deny except that God himself has called that man. Um, so we see some examples of, of this in Isaiah and Amos and Jeremiah and Ezekiel. Uh, the, the fact that they were attested to by no one but themselves. Um, and also that they had very specific historical circumstances. Uh, he points this out, that each time uh, some of these prophets are called by God, the text is usually careful to say where they were and whose leadership they were under, who they were prophesying under. So for like example, some of these, Isaiah, he was uh, called to prof be a prophet in the year that King Uzziah died. Uh, that's clearly stated in Isaiah. Amos reigned during the time of Jeroboam II. That's clearly stated. Jeremiah was under King Josiah and Ezekiel under King Jehoiakim. And so it specifically states what was going on in the exact time. And, and you know, historically, we can, we can really nail down sometimes pretty much to the year that they would have been prophesying in a very, very specific time frame. 
So uh, seeing all that, the historical context, when a man's called, he's called not because of any gifts or strengths in himself, that he is uh, called into a certain historical circumstance, uh, usually during a national crisis, and that he is only the one, the one who is able to attest to this calling alone. No one else can. So our discussion question after all that is, what do you think this says about the person called to prophetic office? What do you think that 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 he is pointing out, what does that say about the man that is called to prophetic office? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. 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 The stakes are very high <laughs> to being a prophet. The stakes are very high. Mm. Yes, we're going to point that out. Yeah, you're right. All the time, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, exactly right. And we're, yeah, we'll talk about that at some more too. Yeah, yeah. Any other thoughts? It, it was not something <laughs> that, uh, you know, if you're, if you're smart at all to look at being a prophet, that's something you'd want to do. You know, everyone's going to hate you. Your life's probably going to be pretty hard. And uh, it's not really the, the greatest way to make a living for yourself at that time probably. Um, this was something specifically that a person was called to by God, a very high and holy calling. He was the mouthpiece of the Lord um, to his people. Yeah, a very difficult calling that only God could strengthen someone for, as we'll see even more of. So if you turn your page, next is question, question. Why do you think the prophet's call is so tied to historical circumstances? Why do you think that in God's providence that he has tied it to the historical circumstances. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's a good point, and it's funny you think about, you know, how God was in, a, in grace sovereignly saying, you know, in a national crisis, here's a man who can give you my word, and they never wanted it, you know, and they, they spurned, they usually spurned that, that God was trying, it was really God's grace giving them his mouthpiece, and they rejected it over and over, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Any other any other thoughts? Yeah. Yeah, he, um, Robertson points out that these were not abstract philosophers. It was, you know, this is grounded in historical reality and situations going on. This wasn't just, you know, philosophizing. Um, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, there's a quote right there that I thought was, was helpful as well. I, I put in the notes for you. Robertson says, Yet this historical rootage of the prophetic office never isolates the prophetic message to a single era. The word of the prophet frequently anticipates the future while also communicating God's message to the present generation. His inspired words address his own age quite specifically, but in a way that speaks pointedly across the centuries. So he kind of gets at this idea that the prophet is ground. <laughs> Sorry, I'll try to I'll try to speak up. He uh, he is pointing out that even though they are grounded in a historical circumstance, that the prophetic message spans the centuries. That it has something to say also for the future. That there's a present and a future aspect to the work of the prophets into their message. And it's good to remember that. It's good to remember that. Um, that God's word is still applicable in what these prophets were, were doing and saying. God's word is, is alive and active even now and has something to say to us even now. We can learn from it. And about redemption and about uh, Christ coming. All of that is, is all connected. Um, Right, 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 exactly right. 
So uh, next, he talks about the vision of God, that each of these prophets called to ministry usually had some sort of vision, some sort of extraordinary vision. Um, this vision left them usually physically impacted. So usually they had some sort of physical impact from uh, the, the vision of God. So you see the example there, Isaiah, it says, had cramps in his loins like a woman in labor, and twilight became a horror to him. So after the, this vision, he experienced great uh, a pain. Um, Daniel was exhausted, and he lay ill for several days after his vision. Habakkuk's heart pounded within him, and his whole body quivered, and decay crept into his bones. Um, you hear that, that physical effect of God's vision on him. And lastly, Ezekiel wasn't able to speak for seven days after the Lord had given him his vision. Seven days, unable to speak. And so we see that the vision of God was very powerful in such a way that it even physically affected them. The vision gave the prophet a profound sense of the holiness and glory of the Lord. I think that should go without saying. We all remember Isaiah in the presence of the Lord and remembering the, the phrase, holy, holy, holy as uh, God's throne is, is revealed. Um, Isaiah specifically knew God as the Holy One of Israel. And each of these prophets, their vision causes them, the vision that God gives them, impacts them, gives them a sense, a certain sense of who God is. And for, for Isaiah, it was distinctively that God is the Holy One of Israel. That phrase is used in Isaiah, they point out, 25 times. But only two times in prophetic literature do we see that, that phrase used, and that's in Jeremiah. So it's very, very concentrated in Isaiah to note that he knows God as the Holy One of Israel. And that phrase isn't used as often in other places of Scripture and prophetic literature. Uh, Ezekiel, he points out, knew God as the omnipresent and omnipotent one. Uh, he was the one who was revealed as the God who runs over all the earth in any direction. Um, over all things. Uh, Jesus also received his commission for ministry with a vision. Remember the vision of heaven and the, the spirit coming down like a dove. Uh, and then Paul as well in the New Testament, he had the, the vision of, of Christ on the road to Damascus, and then he also was caught up to the third heaven. And we, we don't know exactly what that means, um, but it was some sort of vision that Paul had. So we see that this also, he points out, spans New Testament, Old Testament, both of them. Uh, the call that often comes with a vision of God. So our discussion question then is, why do you think a vision of God was common for this prophetic ministry? Why do you think that was necessary and part of uh, the calling of a prophet? Face to face, yeah. Mm. Yeah.
Yeah, 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 definitely. They needed it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think that's that's uh, good points. Um, I think maybe one, one thing as well might be just the affirmation of the prophet himself as a weak man called to something that he was told he's probably going to fail at. He, he needed such an awesome vision of God's presence to push him through and be like, you know, was I really called to this? Am I really supposed to be doing this? Because it's not working out so good. And, you know, an awesome vision like that was something powerful enough to propel them into know, like, it doesn't matter what anybody says. God has called me, and this is what I'm to do, whether or not I see any fruit or anything uh, here and now. That's, you know, that's just a thought as well. Um, necessary for a weak man to be confirmed. Uh, so moving on, there was also in the life of the, the prophet called a commission from the Almighty. Uh, God commissions his prophets first to his own people. So God always first commissions the prophet to go to the people of Israel, his own people. Uh, we see this as sometimes to the apostate kingdom of the north, as in Amos. Sometimes they go to the southern kingdom, like Habakkuk, Zephaniah, and Jeremiah. And other times they're called to the exiled community later on, like Ezekiel and Daniel. Uh, so we see that first they're commissioned to God's people, and then God commissions his prophets, second to other nations and kingdoms. So they're also called to speak God's word to the nations as well. Um, the prophetic word, as we see in Jeremiah, could uproot, tear down, destroy and overthrow, build and plant. The, the word that the prophet gave, the word of the Lord, had power to uproot and tear down. Um, and he, Robertson points out that this prophetic language of, there's prophetic language of destroying and raising up that this is used by Jesus as he begins his prophetic ministry. That Jesus talks about being destroyed and raising up this temple. Remember, Jesus refers to destroying the temple in three days, I will raise it up. And little did the people around him understand at the moment that he was talking about himself, that he himself would be destroyed and would rise again. Um, and his disciples recalled this prophetic message later on and said, oh, we remember what he was talking about, this language, uh, this prophetic language that Jesus used. Um, so clearly, God is the one who commissions his prophets. So what can we say to those, discussion question, what can we say to those who think 
prophecy continues still to this day. What can we say to those who think prophecy still continues to this day? Are you prepared to be stoned if you're wrong? Yes. <laughs> Are you ready to die if you're wrong? Other thoughts? Yeah. Yeah, exactly right. So getting at the point that I think what you're getting at is like, why would you need another prophet, right? If Jesus has come and he is who he says he is, why, do you, why would there be any more prophecy? Um, any other thoughts? Right, right. Yeah, and so we could point people to Scripture, you know, what does a prophet actually look like in Scripture, and does that line up with whatever you're saying might be prophecy today? Um, as well as you could, you could argue, like, well, how do you, val how do you, you know, validate that prophecy? Um, you could be stoned if you're wrong. <laughs> uh, and, and I think the biggest point that, you know, we, we come to is like, well, who is Jesus? What, do you, what does this person say about Jesus? And why do you feel the need to have ongoing prophecy if he is the word of God made flesh and he has come and done uh, all that was necessary? And we now have the fullness of God's word and nothing should be added or taken away um, from it. Um, it just, you know, I think that Obviously, we would all agree that there's probably not a, a lot of good biblical literacy uh, if there's someone still claiming to be able to prophesy or, or if there is someone wanting to have prophecy now. So why would there be any need if Jesus has come? So if you flip over your page, uh, the fourth thing that a, a prophet commissioned and called by God would say is that uh, they had a response of inadequacy. Um, God's prophets regularly feel unable and inadequate for the tasks that they're called to. Uh, Moses and Jeremiah both give God excuses. No, 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 Lord, no, we can't, we're not good enough to speak. We, how, we can't do this. Call somebody else. Um, they both give excuses to God. And Isaiah claims that his lips are unclean. He, he claims that he is too sinful 
uh, that his lips are unclean? How could he do this great calling that God has called him to? And God must be the one to enable them for the task. You remember what did, what did God do uh, for, for Isaiah when he claimed that his lips were unclean? Yeah, God, you know, the burning coal was placed to his lips, you know, the, the sign of the cleansing, and I will make you able, and I will make you my, my uh, prophet and uh, give you the strength, give you the power. God must be the one to enable for this task. Uh, so there's also the reaction of the people we've already alluded to. The, the reaction of the people usually was not good, was it? God generally um, called a prophet, and they were not receptive. The people were not receptive to that prophet. But God prepares his prophets for this rejection. So God let his prophets know graciously that you are not going to be accepted. We see that it was explained to Ezekiel that the house of Israel would not listen to him. God promises to make Jeremiah a fortified city and an iron pillar to stand against the whole land um, because he needed that strength when no one was going to listen to him. And Isaiah is God's instrument of judgment on the people who rejected him. And Isaiah is charged to harden their hearts and blind their eyes. So what's interesting about Isaiah is that God literally tells him that you are going to be the instrument of judgment on my people. That it is through your prophetic word that I'm actually hardening their hearts. That your ministry is one of, of hardening and blinding their eyes even more. Uh, that's, a hard, that's a hard task. I'm sure, I'm sure Isaiah could not have done that apart from the Lord's strength. Certain. Uh, we usually remember the, the, the verse, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And we remember Isaiah, the man for the moment, standing up and saying, Here am I, send me, Lord, send me. Usually that's our verse if we're going into missions or something. We're like, Here am I, send me, Lord. Um, what's funny, I've never seen this, Robertson points out uh, that that section of Isaiah is never quoted in the New Testament. Um, but the sections over and over about the hardening of the hearts of the people is quoted over and over in the New Testament. It's quoted in every single one of the Gospels. It's also quoted in Acts and in Romans. Uh, from Isaiah, the hardening of the people's hearts under the, the ministry of the Word. Um, that's very interesting. Uh, something to think about. Yet, Though there's a hardening, we see the promise in Isaiah and repeated in Romans, there will be a holy remnant in the land, a holy remnant in the land. Though the prophet is rejected, he may be assured his message is not delivered in vain. His message is not delivered in vain. Why? Well, even if he's rejected or if he's accepted, God gets the glory, right? Even in rejection, even in rejection, God still gets the glory. And we see that this rejection is echoed in the life of Jesus, is it not? And Jesus enters into his ministry. Uh, we see that, that people give him a lot of pushback, and his ministry is not loved. And um, the, ex the rejection of Jesus echoes the rejection of all the prophets. You see there in your outline. The exile of Israel had come as divine judgment before gracious restoration could be given. Israel had to be exiled in judgment before they could be brought back in redemption. And this finds its ultimate realization in the rejection and restoration of Jesus, who is the embodiment of the true Israel of God. 
So we see in the life, uh, as we've already talked about a little bit, the life of the prophet and giving God's word and being rejected over and over and over. And Isaiah being a prophet who is even called to have his message harden the hearts of the people. This is just over and over God showing that, listen, like, you never ever come to me, and if I don't do something, you never will. If salvation is going to happen, it has to be of the Lord. And so Jesus comes, and again, we see that the true and the great has come, and his, his ministry, his prophetic ministry, is not accepted either. And yet he is the one who's going to also be a priest and a king, and he's going to actually save his people, the remnant, and do what they could not do. So a discussion question for us is uh, thinking about the prophetic ministry uh, as we've seen it in these five different things, these five different aspects that we've talked about, seen in the life and the call and commission of a prophet, and then thinking about Christ, how was Christ different from all these prophets before him? What are some ways that he was different from all the prophets before him? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, so all the, all the prophets had one office, prophet. Jesus comes and he is the prophet, he is the priest, and he is the king. He holds all three. Right, yeah, yeah, definitely, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm, yeah. Good. Yeah, it's an excellent point. Because when the prophet speaks, he's saying, basically, the Lord says. When Jesus speaks, he says, I say to you. <laughs> I say. I am God. I say to you. Excellent point. Yeah, very important. Anything else? What else was different? What about the, uh, the vi- think about the vision of God experienced by some of the prophets in the way that Jesus and his ministry experienced that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, that, that was what I was angling towards. <laughs> you see this vision of God from heaven that Jesus has in the, the spirit descending like a dove, and you don't see him being scared. You don't see him having physical problems or effects from this vision of God. You don't see him thinking that he's inadequate for the job. You see a man who hears the voice of the Lord, and I think probably the only one in the scriptures to hear God's voice and not tremble, right? 
Um, it's very different, very unique. Yeah. Right, yeah. Yeah, you, you yet do not even understand who I am and how great I am to think that you could line me up with the other prophets. You've not yet understood. Yeah, yeah. Good, so uh, lastly, our last question, what can we learn from the fact that the call of the prophet was never success-oriented? What can we learn from, from that? Yes, yes. We need to reevaluate our definition of success. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, the call is to faithfulness, not necessarily to, to see success. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I'll wrap up because we're, we're about out of time with the, the quote here that he has, that Robertson has from John Calvin, kind of about that question. He says, Sometimes God wants his servants to rest in his authority so as to labor even with no hope of success. Although our labor may be useless, it is enough that it pleases God. When we are ordered to do something, let us learn to leave the outcome in God's hand. Um, something difficult for us to do, to leave the outcome in God's hand, to be obedient and seek to be faithful and leave the outcome in his hand. Um, any thoughts uh, before we close? All right, well, I'll go ahead and pray for us so we can close.